We are what we do not own. The late Morris and Vivian Wall were one of the most remarkable couples I ever met. They were a study in contrasts. Morris was quiet, introspective, reflective and reserved. Vivian was outgoing and vivacious, a people person in the truest sense. They complemented one another perfectly, two halves of a whole. What made them special outwardly was that they were givers on a monumental scale. In Israel, for example, they donated the 19-acre rose garden next to the Knesset and the striking Daniel Lieberskin-designed cultural centre at Bar Ilan University. They endowed medical facilities in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, as well as King's College and University College London. They supported Jewish schools in Britain and Yeshivot in Israel, and all this hardly touches the surface of their philanthropy. What was really moving, though, was how they became a couple in the first place, because Vivian was 30 years younger than Morris. When they met, Morris was in his late 40s, a dedicated businessman seemingly destined for a life of bachelorhood. Vivian, not yet 20, was the daughter of friends of Morris who'd asked whether she could work for him during a vacation. One day, Morris offered to take her for lunch. On their way to the restaurant, they passed a beggar in the street. Morris gave him a coin and walked on. Vivian stopped and asked Morris if he would be kind enough to give her in advance a substantial sum. She named the figure from this week's wages. Morris handed over the money. She then walked back and gave it all to the beggar. Why did you do that? asked Morris. Because what you gave him was not enough to make a change to his life, said Vivian. He needed something more. When the week came to an end, Morris said to Vivian, I'm not going to give you your full wages this week because you gave away part of the money as a mitzvah and I don't want to rob you of that mitzvah. But it was then that he decided that he must marry her because, as he told me shortly before he died, her heart was bigger than mine. I tell this story because it illustrates the dimension of Parshas Baha we often miss. Leviticus 25 deals with a problem that's as acute today as it was 33 centuries ago. It's about the inevitable inequalities that arise in every free market economy. Market economics is good at the creation of wealth, but bad at its distribution. Whatever the starting point, inequalities emerge early on between the more and less successful, and they become more pronounced over time. Economic inequality leads to inequality of power, and the result is often the abuse of the weak by the strong. This is a constant refrain of the prophets. Amos speaks of those who sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, who trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Isaiah cried, Woe to those who make unjust laws and issue oppressive decrees, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Micha inveighs against people who covet fields and seize them, houses and take them away. They oppress the householder and house, the people and their inheritance. This is a problem for almost every society and age. What makes the terror distinctive 
is that it refuses a one-dimensional answer to what is a genuinely complex problem. Equality is a value, but so too is freedom. Communism and socialism have been tried and failed, but the free market generates its discontents also. One principle that can be inferred from Tanakh is that the market was made to serve human beings. Human beings were not made to serve the market. The fundamental question is therefore, what best serves humanity under the sovereignty of God? A careful reading of Baha reveals that the Torah's approach to this question operates at three completely different levels. One is political, a second is psychological, and the third is theological. The first level is simple. Baha proposes two cycles of redistribution, Shemitah and Yovel, the seventh and fiftieth year. The intent here is to restore a level playing field through a combination of debt remission, liberation of slaves, and the return of ancestral land to its original owners. This is a way of redressing accumulated inequalities without constant intervention in the economy. That's the political dimension. The psychological dimension is what the French revolutionaries called fraternity. Ten times the laws in Baha use the word brother. Don't wrong your brother. If your brother becomes poor, the nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has had to sell. This is sound evolutionary logic. We know from the work of W.D. Hamilton and others on kin selection that the most basic driver of altruism is the family. We make sacrifices most readily for those most closely related to us. That, in no small measure, is why from the beginning of the Jewish story to today, Jews have thought of themselves as a single family, descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel and Leah. It's one thing to legislate altruism through such institutions as the 7th and 50th year, but it's another to frame a society in such a way as to make people feel bound together in an unbreakable bond of shared responsibility. So the narratives of Genesis focused overwhelmingly on the people of Israel, not as a nation, but as a family. That is why it is. Law and narrative here go hand in hand because the entire Jewish people is a single, vastly extended family. Therefore, we must help when one or other of our brothers or sisters becomes destitute. That is ethnicity in the service of morality. Finally, though, and most profoundly, comes the theological dimension. Because it is here, in Parshas Bahar, that we hear with unparalleled lucidity what I believe to be the single most fundamental principle of biblical law. Listen carefully to these two passages, one about land, the other about slaves. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, says God. You are strangers and sojourners with me. 
And the other passage, if your brother becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not work him as a slave, for they are my servants, says God, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. The Torah is making a radical point. There is no such thing as absolute ownership. There's to be no freehold in the land of Israel because the land belongs ultimately to God. Nor may an Israelite own another Israelite as a slave because we all belong to God, or as a perpetual slave, because we all belong to God and have done so ever since he brought out our ancestors from slavery in Egypt. It is this principle alone that makes sense of the Torah's narrative of the creation of the universe. The Torah isn't a book of science, it's a book of law, and that's what the word Torah means. It follows that the opening chapter of the Torah, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, isn't a scientific account, it is a legal one. It's not an answer to the question, how is the universe born? It's an answer to a different question entirely, by what right does God command human beings? The answer is, because he created the universe. Therefore, he owns the universe. Therefore, he is entitled to lay down the conditions on which he permits us to inhabit the universe. This is the basis of all biblical law. God rules not by might, but by right. The right of a creator vis-a-vis -vis his creation. Nowhere is this clearer than in Parshat Baha, where it becomes the basis of legislation about land ownership and slavery. Jewish law rests on the principle that only God owns anything. What we possess, we do not own, but merely hold in trust. And that is why the concept of tzedek or tzedakah is untranslatable into English, because it means both justice and charity. In English, justice and charity are radically different. We do justice because we must. We give charity because we may. If I give you a thousand pounds because I owe it to you, that's justice. If I give you a thousand pounds because I owe you nothing but I think you need the money, that is charity. And that may be one or the other, but not both. In Judaism, by contrast, what we possess isn't ours. It belongs to God. He has merely placed it in our safekeeping. We are looking after it on behalf of God. And one of the conditions of that trust is that if we have more than we need, we should share it with those who have less than they need. That is tzedakah, justice and charity combined. That was how Morris and Vivian Wall lived their lives. God had given Morris success, and he knew that the wealth he had accumulated wasn't really his at all. God had given it to him to look after, trusting that he would use it wisely to enhance the lives of others. Morris, though, was honest enough to realize, firstly, that he was probably better at making money than giving it away, and secondly, if he didn't give it away to people and causes that needed it, he was failing in his duty to God and to his fellow humans. That is why when he met Vivian and saw how sensitively she understood the needs of others and how willing she was to make sacrifices for them, he knew he had to marry her. So throughout their almost 40 years together, 
They used the blessings God had given them to bring blessings into other people's lives. It was a privilege to know them. The larger truth of Parshat Baha is that you can't create a just society by political measures alone. Debt remission, restoration of ancestral property and so on. There are psychological and theological dimensions that are also vital. But at a simple personal level, it contains a genuinely life-changing idea. Think of what you possess, not as something you own, but as something you hold in trust for the benefit, not only of you and your family, but also of others. In life, ask not, what can I gain, but what can I give? You will then travel more lightly and with greater joy. You will enhance the lives of others. You will feel that your life has been worthwhile. Hardly any of us can give on the scale of a Morris or Vivian Wall, but when it comes to giving, scale does not matter. Be a blessing to others, and you will find that life has been a blessing to you. Shabbat Shalom.